0: Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Eugenia Hernandez of the Film Society of Lincoln Center.
1: Uh, welcome, good evening. We're going to take a look as we uh, dive into tonight's program. Uh, We're going to be talking about We the Economy. So to start the program, let's just take a look at a trailer that kind of gives us a sense of what We the Economy is, and then we'll have our, our guests join us.
2: So, I promised some people with money that if they gave me some of their money, I would make them a movie about money.
3: Imagine a typical family. A mother, a father, two kids, a dog. They have a small farm. Fresh squeezed lemonade.
4: Yeah, would you like to buy some?
3: I'm already selling fresh squeezed lemonade right across the street. Gather in, my fellow bipeds and Neanderthals. This is the product that you need.
0: Hey, Glug. what gives? Where are all my customers? And who's this new guy over there? What are all these codes? I don't know what this means. No one does.
3: You're the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board.
1: What does that mean?
3: You know, this would be so much cheaper in Belgium or Argentina or South Africa. I believe it's really important to understand money, and so uh, this is a way for us to at least start the conversation.
2: Wall Street's basically the place you go to to finance a transaction. So, the economy in many ways doesn't exist without Wall Street.
3: It's an empowering message for people to realize that they can be part of the economy.
2: A lot of people use the terms federal deficit and federal debt
3: as if they meant the same thing. But they don't.
1: I'm hoping that people can get excited about asking questions and challenging the way things are.
3: Rich pay lower tax rates than ever, but minimum wage hasn't kept up with inflation.
2: There's a dividing line between people who understand these concepts and people who don't, and that's something the series will help erase a little bit.
4: The auto companies are never again going to employ hundreds of thousands of people. The positive thing I see is that so many people have begun to accept that. So Detroit is more optimistic than people realize. It's 20 short films you can't afford to miss. It's We the Economy.
1: All right, please join me in welcoming our three guests, uh, Mr. Adam Davidson, Mia Wang, and Morgan Spurlock. Please join me. Well, greetings to those who are here at the Apple Store Soho and also those who are tuning in on this Apple iTunes podcast. Um, Morgan, I'm going to ask you to start. And we saw from the trailer a little bit of a teaser of what some of the films look like. But um, maybe you could give us a little bit of uh, background. How did this project, where did We the Economy come from? 20 short films about the economy. Where did Yeah, the no, it started from?
4: with a phone call um, from Vulcan Productions. They heard, we were developing a movie about money that was going to explain, you know, how, how money has value. How does it shift from country to country? What makes it fluctuate the way it does? And... Um, you know Carol Tomko who runs uh, Paul Allen's Vulcan Productions Vulcan Productions is you know Paul Allen co-founder of Microsoft company he she knows said, a little he knows a little bit about money he knows a little bit about money he has a whole lot of it and um and so they she said Paul's really fascinated with the economy and wants to create something that will demystify the economy and I said we should get together immediately and like 2 days later they were sitting in my office in New York we were brainstorming for about uh, I don't know an hour and a half, two hours, and out of that conversation came this idea of "We the Economy," 20 short films you can't afford to miss. And the reason we kind of pushed towards this is a couple years ago we did a project with GE called GE Focus Forward, where we got tw- uh, 30 A-list filmmakers, you know, very successful filmmakers to come, doc, doc filmmakers, all documentary filmmakers at that point to come in and do short films, three minute films, that GE paid for, but GE didn't put any branding in. We weren't like Hawk and GE product, they just basically said, we want people to understand that there are people doing innovative things out in the world. And so we made these films about incredible people who were kind of changing the world through their inventions, through their ideas, uh, through what they were doing in medicine, in, in architecture, you name it. And so that, that was so successful, like that program was seen, we had 75 million unique views for that, um, within less than 12 months which was in, enormous and uh, and I said there's there's a great way to create the same thing here with the economy and do it in a smart funny way bring in nonfiction filmmakers as uh, fiction filmmakers as well as nonfiction filmmakers and when we started calling the filmmakers the response was overwhelming everybody wanted to do it
1: we um, we certainly know you as a filmmaker Morgan we also know you as that guy we see on CNN all the time um, so you make television yeah um, it, I think it's worth hearing a little bit more about uh, this company that you've created to create other forms of entertainment, in this yeah. case, short form content. Tell us about CineLon and, yeah. and how it sort of fits into your overall you know, sort of world view of making entertainment, but also right. why that format is important, yes. those well, two parts.
4: Yeah, the whole idea of CineLon came from a friend of mine. I was out at a bar one night and met a guy named David Wales. David Wales, who is a futurist, Yes, there are people out there who actually are futurists. They are from the future. If you look at him, he looks like he dresses from the future. He is from like, a time that we don't know, and, uh, but he's brilliant. He's an incredible guy, and companies pay him to help him predict trends. Like What is, what is the future going to have? What's going to happen in a year, two years, five years? Um, he's got a company called Ministry of Culture, and he's brilliant. And so he said, he goes, he goes I'm, I wanted to meet you for so long. He goes, I've got a great idea. He goes, he goes in the future, things are just going to get shorter. People are going to want to see shorter and shorter things. And he goes, and I want, and I love documentaries. He goes, I want to create a company called Documentaries where it's like a one-minute documentary film, or a short-form documentary film. I said, that's a great idea. Nobody will be able to spell that. I said, I said people are going to be like, document. They're going to try five or six times. They're going to get pissed off, and then they're just going to stop. I said, so we got to come up with a better name. So we came up with the name of Cinelon as a company that would create kind of short-form documentaries. And originally, it was the idea we were going to take um, you know existing pieces of docs that were already out in the world and kind of meta-tag them to news stories. A lot of what, in, in, um, what the New York Times OpDocs is doing right now with original docs. And uh, and then we kind of started pushing towards this idea of doing original docs with great doc filmmakers and kind of keeping that kind of short form What's qu- what's called "quote unquote" kind of snackable content, and and the works first, great
1: on things like this, which
4: right? is great on things like this, which is great on your computer. It's great at work when you have a break. It's great on your on your tablet, um, and you know when we created CineLon, which now is like four or five years ago, this was kind of the perfect per- the perfect length. You know, a lot of people weren't watching extended length you know programming, and to this day, short form content still continues to be a huge. Uh, time sucked for most of us because we'll sit down and like you watch one. If you like the GE Focus Forward thing was amazing because if you watched, we saw that if you watched one film, then you watched five films, and the same thing is happening with we the economy. If you watch one, the chances are you'll end up watching three or four automatically. And the next thing you know, it's been twenty minutes, and you're like, "Oh my god, I got to get back to work." Uh, but uh, the whole goal behind you know Cinelon was to create short form content where we could work with. Great, con- brilliant content creators like like Meow and smart people like Adam and 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 potentially brands or companies or studios or whoever to create a very different kind of platform viewing experience.
1: Um, we're going to go deeper into um, what we, the economy, is. We're going to see clips from some of the films before we go any further. We, the economy, uh, we we're thrilled to have it. Um, preview at the new york film festival this year at lincoln center and then we a couple of weeks later were there to uh to help bring it out into the world and it was in theaters all around the country that's right uh, but it with the economy these films these 20 films are actually available now. everywhere uh, everywhere people can watch them right now people that are in this audience or tuning in on this podcast can uh can watch them on various or any of the devices you mentioned. they're
4: on the itunes right now if you're listening if you're listening, you can see them on the iTunes. We got people who would never. It, people usually, if you're putting something out, people say, "Is are they putting it out, or who has it?" And we told them up front. We're giving it to everyone. We want everyone to put this out. Um, and one of the reasons why people agreed to that was one I'm one, I'm a, I'm a real believer in co-opetition. Like there are times when we should compete with one another. How do you when, spell that? It's C-O-O-P. <laughs> Titian. <laughs> Co op Titian. Easier to spell than right. documented. I don't think I think they're both just as difficult. So but uh, but I believe there are times when we should be competing with one another as filmmakers or as business owners. And there's times where you can come together because ideas are bigger and better than you versus me. There is a we idea behind it and that's what is I think is driving we the economy. And so we got places like Netflix and Yahoo and Hulu and AOL and and iTunes and everybody to agree to put this up. This was the first time this was the first short film ever Netflix had put on Netflix, um, which is incredible. Um, you know, you went on your television when they launched on in-demand and they were on the in-demand channel right below movies. Here was like all the row of all these things you could watch for free. I mean it was it was amazing that we got so many people to say yes, and one of the reasons, apart from it being important was we weren't chasing a return on investment. We weren't really chasing an ROI. Like from day one, we said we're going to give them to you. We're giving them, we're giving them away to the public for free, which is also kind of unheard of. Um, most people want to you know make money. Uh, it's, so it's, it's, it's film we the economy that doesn't really make a lot of economic sense. But uh, but from the standpoint of that um, that we wanted to make an impact rather than make money was the big idea.
1: Well, hopefully the fact that you've partnered with a relatively wealthy individual. Um, uh, helps with the uh, with the with the cost side of it. That's right.
4: Well, that's and Paul was willing to underwrite the whole thing. That was the that was the awesome part of the project. Is you know we had a patron who said we should be talking about these things. And you know this is the same guy who now has given hundred million dollars of his own money to fight Ebola. I mean, it's it, he's a remarkable guy.
1: Well, okay. So so speaking to the economic impor- the importance of this economic issue, now I'm going to go to Adam. Who is listed up here as an economic advisor? Is that what it says up there still? Um, Adam, maybe you can contextualize this for us from your vantage point. Uh, Morgan spoke to the ability to, to make these films, to get them out on all these platforms all at once, the importance of people coming together for this issue and, and, and not competing but cooperating. co what was that word? Um, from your vantage point, why is it important that we're that we be talking about this issue now in the way that we are the the dialogue that these films start why is it crucial that we be having this conversation right now
0: yeah well I think the financial crisis certainly brought in stark relief a fact that was clear for quite a while which is the average person certainly in America today really needs to understand the economy more deeply than they do and I, I don't think that that's too controversial a thing to say, that if, if you look at the bulk of the 20th century, the economy was, aside from the Great Depression and the occasional minor recession, it was a, a remarkable period of continuous growth for most of the 20th century. And for much of that, the, the growth was widely shared among people of, of, of every level. And so I, I think that, you know, in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, it wasn't you didn't need to know economics to have a good career to have aspirations about your children the economy was broadly working for you and i think for a whole host of reasons Um, we've had a bunch of major shocks global trade technology Uh, certainly the financial crisis that has made it clear to everybody that the economy is this very potent force that is impacting their lives all the time. And I think for most people the language of economics is very confusing, the concepts are not easy to grasp, yet it's very clear that it's a force that's changing their life, limiting their choices sometimes. And so I think helping a very broad public engage this topic, I mean, there's no more important issue right now.
1: Well, it's interesting because you mentioned the word economy, and for anybody who didn't go on to a career like yours, um, people like myself, maybe those in the audience, maybe creative people, um, uh, economy class in college was, uh, it's a little bit boring, it's a little bit intimidating, it's kind of scary...
4: I, I dropped it after two weeks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, in that, with that in mind, I mean, I, I, not to diminish any, any at all your expertise, because it is it, it the intimidation of it all. It can be a bit daunting for people, and it is it can you know when you think about the term economy, you can you sort of flash back to this idea of being in college and oh my god, I just can't I can't go there. What kind of advice? What kind of thinking? What kind of conversations did you have with Morgan and others about how to make this topic? rich, relevant, topical, engaging, not boring, not, you know, how do you make, a big topic like the economy, interesting, I guess, is what I'm trying to. Ask. Yeah,
0: and th- I mean that's it's my life's work. I, I grew up in all artist housing in Greenwich Village and Westbeth, and and I was not raised to know much about economics. It was this boring, silly topic that no one I knew cared about. Everyone I knew was were artists, and I grew up and learned relatively late in life that economics is fascinating, exciting, dramatic. Um, it, it, it is a great way to understand human passion and other things, and and so. Um, I'd say the bulk of my career has been trying to share that with other people. Like um, someone today actually told me, "I'm economics for poets." That that's my thing. So I created NPR's Planet Money and um, have, have written for the New York Times Magazine and others, and and always with the same idea of trying to first of all, translate it so that it's intelligible to um, people who don't know the boring technical words, but also in a way that conveys the passion and excitement that I feel. Although this project really brings it all to a much higher level. I think um, the idea of, um, you know, I generally reach NPR and New York Times audiences who are, you know, many of them don't know that much about economics, but we sort of assume they probably have a college degree. They're curious about the world. They're engaged in public policy to some degree or other, and and so we're able to be a bit geekier, a bit a bit more boring. Although we try very hard not to be boring, um, you know. Morgan was talking about let's get everybody, let's get let's make this a hundred percent entertaining, a hundred percent engaging, but also really intelligent and, and substantive. And that was tough. So I wrote. Co-wrote two of the films, and then I was an economic advisor on a bunch of the other ones. And it it just is hard. It's really, really hard, and just takes a lot of work between very creative directors and writers. And there were ten of us economic advisors. You know, sometimes it felt like we were just there to make it more boring to kill the jokes. And um, and and you know, the most exciting moments were when somehow the two things came together, um, where we were able to combine. Um, economic substance with a really creative idea and 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 bring that to the audience in a in a great way
1: well what I want to do is um, I want to watch a clip but then I want to bring meow into the conversation so why don't we start by taking a look at our first clip uh, that we have queued up and then um, and then we'll talk with meow and we'll talk about her film and then we'll talk um, we'll come back and talk about the film that you were consulting on one of them you consulted on um, and we'll watch that as well in a, little, in a few minutes. So we'll start by taking a look at a film. Morgan, do you want to set up what caveonomics sure. is? Sure. So
4: so the conversation, my film's called Cavenomics, And the, the idea was they wanted to explain kind of how the economy came to be. And I was having a conversation with John Steele Gordon, who's a fantastic economic historian, very smart guy, um, who you will see in the, in the film uh, with me. And he... You know, he's a brilliant economic historian who when I started saying I was like how do you even begin to tell people this story how do you set this up and he goes well, I have this vision and he goes in like and it didn't happen he goes but this is what I' am-. Like, if you're gonna if you want to tell somebody he's like I see two cavemen and he goes and there's two cavemen and they're they've gone hunting and one of them's a really great hunter and he's got two wild boars with him that he's gotten and he goes and the other one is a terrible hunter and he's got nothing but he makes really great spears and he goes and, his, and he goes gosh he goes you know he tells his for his friend Ugg, he's like, Ugg, I'm so my wife's gonna kill me. I'm coming home. I didn't get anything again. She's gonna be so mad. It's gonna everybody's gonna be unhappy. And he's like, but Glug, you make much better spears than I do. If I traded you one of my boars for one of your spears, then I'll be an even better hunter. I'll get more boars next time and your wife will be mad at you. And I was like, "That's a great idea. That should be the start of the film." And so, out of that came this this film that we made called *Caveonomics*, where we imagined like the economic system being born in caveman times, using kind of how the how the economic system works, how it how it grew into mass production, et cetera. And it's uh, it was fantastic. And you'll see John Steele Gordon uh, dressed as a caveman, which is probably my proudest moment, along with Adam Davidson also dressed as a caveman, my second proudest moment. So, we're not going to watch the
1: whole film. You'll have to watch that on any of the number of platforms, including iTunes, that uh, Morgan mentioned. But let's take a look at a clip from Caveonomics by Morgan Spurlock.
4: (laughs) Definitely a teaser. Definitely, it's a very, very quick. The film teaser. is a lot longer than that. A lot longer than that. And there's The film's, films are actually about four to five minutes. And we also, you know, Judah Friedlander, you know, from 30 Rock's in there. And the amazing thing when you watch these films is the people that we got to kind of be in the movies, like, you know, Patton Oswald's in one of the films, Sarah Silverman, Maya Rudolph. Um, I mean, it's just the list is... Werner Herzog makes one of the greatest appearances you'll ever see in your life in a, in a movie called Lemonade Wars. It's great.
1: Well, I want to switch gears and talk to Mao about, uh, Mao about a film called Made by China in America, and to find out from you, um, well, first of all, where the idea for this particular story that you told came in came from, and then we'll talk about your background as well.
2: So uh, my topic was how Chinese economic boom has impacted the US economy, and I wanted to tell, you know, everybody knows about, like, the made in China and how cheap labor in China, and that's taking our jobs away. So I was looking at that and doing research, and and I came upon, I actually was reading some economic publications and came upon this paper about just Chinese manufacturing, actually, some of it coming back to the, coming to the U.S. and investing in the U.S., and that just immediately grabbed me, um, because it just turns everything around and, you know, it's not really something that most people know about yet. And um, I did, you know, I looked further into it and there were a couple of factories I looked at in South Carolina and decided to focus on South Carolina just because it's not New York or California, (laughs) somewhere, you know, different. And um, we went down to South Carolina and just wanted to, you know, look at how these factories are, um, how the Chinese are investing in these factories and how the people that are there, like, really it's like a human story of um, these people who have been impacted and their very livelihood had been taken away and now it's actually coming back. So, well,
1: What we learn in your film, and it's a, again, they're all short films, just a few minutes long, but what we learn in your film is really surprising, I think, for many people, or at least for me. You, you go in with certain expectations right. um, of uh, sort of how, you, how one views... Um, the relationship between America and China, and China, and what surprised you, or what did you learn in the process of making the movie um, that you might want to share with the audience here as a bit of a teaser, and then we'll take a look at again a few frames from it. But
2: mm-hmm. well, um, just that aspect of you know Chinese uh, like the, the Chinese economic boom has actually developed to an extent where it's kind of gone past that 1.0 version, and now it's. Uh, um, now it's actually the wages and everything is rising so much in China, and then and when it, with other factors involved, it's actually in some way, some places a little cheaper to come to come for them to come and invest here. So that was really uh, new to me, and I just like the way that swings around um, was surprising to me.
1: How did you, uh, as jumping off of that, Morgan? Um, how did you decide? Like sort of, I sort of imagine a whiteboard and and sort of all these tentacles, you know, going off in different directions as you were mapping out the the aspects of the economy you would explore. But how did you drill down? And I'm sure you could have made 50 films about the economy. That, no, that's
4: exactly. You now, when we first started, when we come up with the idea, we realized that uh, we need we needed people much smarter than filmmakers to kind of decide what they were going to make. And so that's when we brought on uh, Adam and, and nine other economic advisors who. You know, and these are people who come from, you know, creating policy in D.C. or, you know, writing textbooks for schools or teaching at universities. We wanted to make sure it was an incredibly diverse group of, you know, right, left, you know, wherever you came from, that there were basically common core ideas behind what drives the economy. And so we had them basically say, if we were going to tell 20 stories, or like, what would be the 20 things that we have to hit on? Uh, and we had each person kind of say, here were the most important things that we want you to do. And out of those lists that they all created were the commonalities that we then... Said these are all the things we need to make movies about. Uh, what are the questions we need to ask? Like, what causes inequality? What's the what's the difference between the deficit and the and the Fed? What is money? You know, asking each of these questions, and uh, and then we t- basically took that list of 20 questions, presented it to filmmakers, and it was first come first serve. Uh, we let everybody whoever whoever said yes first got to pick their movie first and uh, and go from there.
1: Well, to that point, then I want to ask Adam, how how do how do political persuasions, political viewpoints interlock with our ability to understand or not understand the economy? And how did you, how do you, how did you advise these filmmakers to either address or not address uh, politics? Because it's, it, for some people it, you sort of view um, policy and politics as so interwoven with how we understand or view the economy.
0: Yeah, and it, it was it was a challenge. I'd, I'd say it's safe to say this this was a bunch of filmmakers. They were broadly of the left, you know, maybe even the far left. Although I would say almost all of them had minimal to no knowledge about economics. It just wasn't a topic that they had really engaged before. And so I, I found that a lot of the early conversations were helping them understand that just that they were on a spectrum you know that that i think and and i know this from my own childhood in greenwich village that if if you live in, in an arts world just you know just like if you live i know a lot of people in south carolina where it's the same but on the other side um if you live in an arts world in new york everyone you know is quite left everyone you know is very skeptical of capitalism and and um, and has a bundle of assumptions and, and it, you don't necessarily know that you're making assumptions. You just think oh, this is how the world works. I'm just describing how the world works. Um, you know, the rich take from the poor or whatever it is. Um, and just like in other communities it's it's different. So so part of the brief for these films was to be as nonpartisan as possible. I think there's a general understanding that that's actually impossible. That uh, economics and you know, partisanship are, are very linked, particularly right now. Um, but to make them as nonpartisan as possible. So one thing I wanted to do, I mean, we weren't there to tell filmmakers, no, you're wrong, you know, minimum wage should be higher or lower or whatever. But to help them un- help them make creative choices, informed creative choices. So um, if if you think trade is always bad for all Americans, help them understand why trade is a more complex bundle of you know, the trade benefits a lot of people, hurts other people, etc. I'd I'd say that was the main first thrust. And then generally familiarizing people with the broad sweep of, here's what economists know or think they know, here's what they don't know, here's the areas of doubt um, broadly. And then it really got into the micro level of just looking at scripts and saying, you know, I wouldn't put it that way because that... You know, using that language, I, I remember there's one about healthcare, and there's just a bu- just a bunch of words in there that I knew would just really piss off the right, needlessly. I mean, it wasn't needed for the script, so I just said, just change this word, change that word. Just there's no reason to pick a fight that you don't have to pick. So
1: is that your way? Are you are you saying that then? It sounds like you're saying that the language we use to talk about the economy today is part of what's inflaming the conversation or how we view it, is—is, is,
0: are, are we talking about it in the wrong way oftentimes? I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I used to be a Middle East correspondent, and if you're talking about the Arab-Israeli or Palestinian-Israeli conflict, just the nouns you use kind of tells you who you are. Like if someone talks about... Occupied Palestine. I have a sense of where they're coming from, and if they say the Jewish, the biblical lands of Judea and Samaria, I have a sense of where they're coming from. So just the words they use already is signaling an awful lot, and that's definitely true in economics. Um, for example, inequality, which was the film I co-wrote, it co-wrote. Um, that just talking about inequality right now is a broadly left of center, you know, it's, there's debate between kind of the center left and the more left left, but there really isn't a big discussion on the right about inequality. So just talking about inequality at all is already somewhat partisan. Um, and then, uh, and, and, and it just came coming up, like um, it, in the film, I'm trying to remember what the actual words were, but if you talk about, um, you know, there's a way of talking about healthcare you know I think to to economists America doesn't have a free market healthcare system and it doesn't have a government healthcare system it's some kind of an ugly mishmash of both and that's probably why we hate it so much um, but the film i think was positing like we have a free market healthcare system and maybe we should have more of a you know government healthcare system and i was trying to say like that's you're using terms from a fight that actually neither side is right about and, and and helping them understand that. But yes, I think I, I think it's actually weird because I think economists themselves are probably have broad agreement on a lot of issues. If you filled a room with dem- Republican and Democratic economists on a lot of basic issues, they would probably be very close to each other. But the partisanship is so ugly right now and so heated um, that you just, there's these time bombs, which I know because as a reporter at NPR and the New York Times I've, I've stepped on a bunch of those um, bombs and, and and you know, gotten, you know, set off exciting Twitter storms and stuff like that. So um, so I was trying to warn people away from, from those things. Um, I want to go back to Mao's film and then we're going to watch uh, a little teaser as well.
1: But Tell us about some of the things that you encountered, learned, discovered in relation to some of the things that Adam was just talking about um, in your travels to South Carolina and, and investigating um, what was happening with uh, uh, Chinese companies investing in American companies or investing in America. What, how did you navigate? Because you're, you're theoretically going to a place that probably was very conservative. Um, Tell me about how you thought about it going in and how you thought about it coming out.
2: Yeah, um, well, I decided right away that I should have an interviewer for the street interviews. That's not me. (laughs) Why was that? (laughs) Um, Well, I I am going to, you know, South Carolina, so I didn't want to be, like, the Chinese face coming up to because we did a few street interviews just on you know right literally walking up to people on the street just being like Could we talked to you and so I didn't feel like if it was me going up to them I would get maybe the same response so I did actually have I recruited a local um, white lady <laughs> so um, and yeah, that was so. That was one of the, one of the ways I felt like going in. That was you know just to just to kind of take away that potential layer of you know distraction, and um, but then all the other the actual you know interviews with the characters that we did find and all those were just. From, with me so um, but so that was yeah just because I had never been to South Carolina before myself you know and I was I was a little bit like well but it was actually quite interesting because when we were talking to all the people on the street you know a lot of because in the beginning we were asked people you know what do you think about the US economy and it's pretty uniform like well you know it was kind of going downhill and uh, they're, taking all, they're taking all our jobs away it's all sort of like that kind of answers and then but then, in the end, we would ask, well, what would you think if some Chinese companies are coming here to invest in you know, some factories and actually bring jobs here? And the answers were all actually like positive. Like, well, yeah, actually, that would be great. If they're coming here and opening, providing jobs to us, then sure, <laughs> you know? So that, that, was, that kind of response was a little surprising to me.
1: Well, let's, um, let's take a look at a clip from your film. I think it's going to be an equally short teaser, but let's just take a look at uh, a few images from that, and we'll come back, and uh, then we'll talk about Adam's film as well. So we're going to... Um, all right. I'm glad I've been reminded that we have. There's an app for We the Economy, and I'm assuming, and I think I know this for a fact, is actually available in the iTunes store. Yes, it is in the App Store. What a shocker! <laughs> so, uh, and there's Wi-Fi here, so you could actually download you it. Download right and now. play with it right now while we're talking about it. I encourage you to do that. Um, yeah, but and it's why free, and so we're going to take a look at a little bit of a demo once you've downloaded it. This is uh, a bit of what you're going to see. Um, Braden, are you going to walk us through it, or are you just going to show us? Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean,
4: joining us is uh, Braden King, who uh, basically worked with the team to design the app. He's a brilliant New York filmmaker and an incredible storyteller who not only makes great movies, but also does these phenomenal digital storytelling applications. And so when we knew we were moving forward with this, I said, I know exactly who to call. And that's when we brought on that bearded genius marathon running guy down at the end. (laughs) Thanks, Morgan.
3: Um, You know, and I think I was drawn to exactly what these guys were speaking about earlier in terms of what Cinelon's doing with short, storm, short-form short storytelling and looking at different ways to tell stories was really one of the things that drew me in as a filmmaker into working as like creative director on the digital aspects of this project. So what you're looking at now is a screenshot of the uh, iPhone app, which um, you can download for free right now, and this contains all the films, and it's constantly updated with additional content that I'll talk about a little bit in a second. The way I approached this was really similar to the way a filmmaker might approach a film. I put together a, a team that included some guys here in New York named Ver, uh, that have a company called Version Industries that work with me on the website and a company called HipCheck out of Phoenix, Arizona that's worked with me on different art projects to, to put this app together. And we really approached it almost like a multimedia um, coffee table books, and, and one of the challenges here was to bring all this amazing content together and give it kind of a bed on which to sit that would give it additional context and connections. So when you go into the burger menu here, there's things you might expect, like grids of the directors and advisors that worked on the film that you can explore and also uh, use to jump out to the individual films. Um, the, uh, the, going back here is the advisor menu, and then, when you do um, dive into an individual film, not only did we want to provide with sort of like a world class viewing environment that would work on the phone, both um, you know, in, in, as you're holding it vertically, but obviously, if you go horizontally, you get the full screen. This is all um, airplayable. All the films can be downloaded. They, it's sort of, as I mentioned, we really were operating from the standpoint of like, how do we collect all this together, put it in a useful form that people can carry with them, that teachers might be able to use in a classroom context, and, uh, and give it additional information. So underneath here, you see, again, the director bio. There's a There's an interactive quiz that also acts as a kind of uh, polling mechanism when you give your answer, it sort of shows you the way other people have answered the question and gives us feedback on other things we might want to bring attention to within a given uh, topic. They're interactive, both infographics and graphs that people can explore in order to, uh, you know, further get into the info that any given film is talking about. As well as, this is kind of neat, this is James Sheamus' film about money. What we're doing is scraping real-time tweets and bringing, bringing them into the app every time you open. Uh, uh, a given film to kind of show what the conversation that's going out in the world and where that's at in any given moment and those are replaced as I said every time you open the app and um, you know for me this I think was really an opportunity again to both explore different ways of storytelling figure out a way to give all these films context for someone who's interested in kind of the the future of how these stories are going to be told to be able to work on pulling this all together is really interesting and finally i would just say that as a filmmaker it was extremely pleasurable to work on things working on the little details here almost felt like editing if you if you see the little drop shadow underneath here when you slide that up and forth things like back and forth there was a lot of attention paid to the craft in the same way that you might pay of craft of the app, craft of the website in the same way that a filmmaker might to the edit of their film. And it was a it was a total pleasure to bring all this together and work with all these amazing talented filmmakers on it. Please download the app and, and tell all your friends about it. Thanks.
1: Thank you, Braden. Adam, I was thinking about this um, this morning as um, I was thinking about We The Economy as also a bit of a time capsule. Like the idea that, you know. 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, the ability for someone or for us to go back and look at at these films and at the content around these films and really get a sense of the kind of questions we were asking. I mean, we'll have the, be- we'll have the benefit of hindsight at that point and we'll sort of... Um, we'll be in a place of some sort. And the ability to kind of look back and see the kinds of questions that we were all asking each other or the kind of... Uh, Subjects we were exploring at this particular moment is particularly invaluable. And you get that in a film. You certainly get that, you know, when, when I go back and look at uh, Super Size Me, it takes you back to a particular moment, right? But in this case, you're seeing the, this this issue explored from so many different vantage points. Um, yeah. It, and in a deeper way than you can get just by watching the news or even reading an article in a newspaper or in a magazine.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point. It's, I find it always fun to go back in time and and see what people were fixated on. So I've been reading a lot about in the early 1900s when we were switching from an agrarian economy to an industrial economy and the fixations and worries. And some were, you know, amazingly prescient and some were amazingly off base. And, and um, I think probably, Morgan, you'll be way off base and some of the others will be prescient. We'll see. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I think that'll be really interesting to see because I, I, I'd say one of the key things about for me about economics is it is dynamic. I mean, you know, you, you know, a few years ago, it seemed like just a fixed fact that China was just going to soak up more and more and more jobs. But it's dynamic. China soaks up so many jobs, wages rise. China can't soak up as many jobs anymore. Just like Japan once was terrifying, um, and then turned into just a solid, boring trading partner like Canada or something. And uh, and so it will be interesting. Is inequality going to? Is that just with us for the the rest of our lives, or is that this short little obsession we have at this moment in history? That'll be very interesting. Well to that end, before we watch a clip from your film, what,
1: what as a nugget we can sort of take away and think about as we're watching these films, what's what's something that you're thinking about now? What what are what what are you fixated on in your
0: daily thought around the economy at this moment
1: or, or what are you exploring?
0: I I'd say my big obsession is I do think we are at a turning point in our economic history, sort of on the level of moving from an agrarian to an industrial economy in that you know the appification of the economy, um, uber and all that is we're still in such an early early stages, but it's going to transform our economy dramatically and I think for s- one segment of our society, bright, curious, um, adaptable people that's going to be really, really good news and and it's going to mean a lot of opportunity and for others who are maybe don't have the intelligence or don't have the adaptability or um, you know, people who want more of a quiet, predictable life, I think it 's going to be much, much tougher, and we don 't know where the cutoff is uh, you can there 's a compelling argument that it 's sort of twenty percent of Americans will do much better, and eighty percent will do either the same or worse. Some people say no, no, two percent'll do better ninety eight percent will do worse, others say no, forty percent'll do better i don 't know
1: anyone who thinks so the, the first will. two you mentioned don 't sound too. Optimistic. I mean, I'd pretty say to be to totally
0: honest, if you're, you know, if you're in an app store in Soho, curious about the economy, you're, that's a pretty good sign that you're in the, the good part. But, um, but most of Americans, I think, are in for a tough century. I, a I, tough century, or yeah, several decades. I don't know. However long you can predict, and, uh, um, and, and I think you know that. That becomes a political issue. What do we do about that? Um, and and uh, and it's certainly a, a crucial economic issue. So, that's is that part of economics that I
1: mentioned earlier about being terrifying. This is that. <laughs> that's like right. You start thinking about these things, and it it it. it Although it's, in my it's experience,
0: daunting. if you're terrified, you probably shouldn't be terrified, <laughs> or as terrified. I mean, the very fact of being terrified means you're aware enough and curious enough that you are likelier to adapt it's the people and it's a lot of people who wouldn't, who don't even know. I mean, I I remember being in Alabama in a dying textile town and talking to this guy who, you know, whose life has all but collapsed. He had a solid union job, owned his own home, and he was now in economic free fall. And I was asking him basically, how is he adapting? And he said, oh, well, they'll bring those jobs back. They'll figure it out. There's no way they're not gonna bring those jobs back. And I just sat there thinking, you should be terrified. My like ambitious college-educated friends in New York who are terrified probably don't need to be quite so terrified. But you should be terrified. Um,
1: pivoting off of that, sweet I al- didn't say that to. Him, by sweet way. alpacas. Where does that come? Well, actually, you know what? No, let's do this because it's so um, it's such an easy way into this conversation. Let's just watch. We're gonna watch the uh, kind of credit sequence, right? The opening. You'll watch like the opening. The opening, the opening number, uh, and then you'll tell us more about it. So let's take a look at the opening to Sweet Alpacas.
2: I can't believe
0: we graduated from our sweetness schools. Tomorrow we all get to go to the lollipop
3: factory and get our jobs. (gasps) All of our dreams are about to come true. Yay! Yay!
1: Well, needless to say, it doesn't go well for all three of the cute alpacas. Uh, some do better than others, which is
0: what the story you're trying to explore, the issue you're trying to explore, right? Yeah, so this was, um, for me, definitely the most fun was um, Adam McKay, who is, writes and directs all of Will Ferrell's movies and is legendary comedy writer for Saturday Night Live, had writer for Saturday Night Live for years. He and I have become friends, and... I was telling him about this project and he's like i want to do one of these movies and so um he and i uh so i emailed morgan and his folks and said hey do you want adam mckay to direct one of these and you said absolutely adam mckay that'd be awesome and um and so mckay just instantly was we were talking about income inequality and i was basically explaining how there's sort of three levels of income inequality there's the kind of the occupy wall street stuff there's the super super rich really the 0.1% 0.01% that has one dyna- dynamic then there's the stuff i was talking about like let's call it the 20% 80% and that's a different dynamic and so he's like be- because he's brilliant he just instantly said and i think part of it was his daughter was watching um you know the ponies my little ponies he's like what if we do just this magical land the unbelievably sweet alpacas where everything's super sweet but it turns out that each of the alpacas represent one of these, you know, there's one that's 0.1%, one that's 20%, and one that's the 80%, and inequality is sort of thrust into this painful, painful world. And so um, he and I went back and forth, and. Um, you know, part of it was him making it funny and me making it boring. Um, although I do think, because my wife, Jen Banbury, helped me with it, and I think she wrote many of the funniest lines, in my opinion, although she doesn't get credit for that, except right now. Um, and But it was, for me, just such a fun thing. I mean, I, all the work I do, I try and make it accessible, sometimes funny, engaging, but it's always very literal for NPR, or The New York Times. It's always interviewing people and playing tape of those interviews and, um, and so I've never you know, had the opportunity to like just imagine stuff. And then writing a cartoon is so cool, it's crazy. Like You just come up with an idea and suddenly it's there. You know, someone's drawing it really beautifully. It was so fun, it was awesome. Congratulations. Um, well, let's, let's see in the few minutes that we have what
1: questions the audience may have. And I know we have microphones that will be circulated, so there's a gentleman up here and then you guys can take other questions.
4: Hi, um, I'm a documentary filmmaker, so I'm actually very curious about the whole sort of process that uh, went into it. Um, whether you knew ahead of time, whether you weren't really looking for a return, and that you were going to look for many dis- different distribution, and how did that affect the filmmaking process? Well, that was the plan from day one. From day one, minute one, we said we're not going to chase money. You know, we because I think that's you're going in a, you're going about it for the wrong way if you're if you're for, for a project like this. And if Paul came in said, "Listen, I want to get this out there." We had a real conversation of like, whatever return you're going to get is going to be so minimal, you know, you're know, you not going to make millions of dollars on this. The more value is, if it does generate any income, is convincing the people who make that money to give it back to us to put back into making more films. So what's launching right now is there's an educational initiative that's coming out around this. There are uh, there are teaching tools that will, are being uploaded to the app that teachers will be able to download, so anyone in the country will be able to utilize this in a classroom setting, um, junior high, high school, college. And for all of us, and even for the filmmakers involved, You know, the budget on these films was anywhere, for each film, was anywhere between $100,000 and $150,000. You know, nobody was going to drive off in a Ferrari after making one of these movies unless you made a movie for, like, five grand. Um, but uh, everybody, you know, everybody came in, you know, saying, listen, I want to make the best thing possible. Almost all the money ended up on screens, you know, on the screen for whatever people were doing. And and with big A-list filmmakers from, like, Catherine Hardwick, who did Twilight, John Chu, who did G.I. Joe, Adam McKay from Anchorman, I mean, these are people who... Um, are used to making really big, crazy budget movies that said, this is such a great exercise and such an important thing, I want to be a part of it. But yeah, from day one, it wasn't about making money. It was about getting them out into the world and chasing as many partners as we could to help us.
2: What are some of the challenges you faced when you were trying to combine the economic side of what you are trying to portray and then the uh, more creative side when you were making the films?
0: I I think that the Economist... Adv- economics advisors you know we there's things that are so important to us that we really really, really want to explain, but they take a long time, and so the alpaca script or every script I worked on it was this stripping down what is the essential lesson um, that we're trying to get across, and what what is the the clearest version of that so um the um you know, there's a reason economics is written in a long and boring way with lots and lots of technical language. It's because it's subtle and and nuanced. And, And that's part of what I love about it. And I love, you know, that I've spent a long time trying to learn it and understand it. So it was sometimes very painful to like, okay, I've gotten it completely as simple as it possibly could be. And the creative people coming back and saying, that is way too long and way too boring. So we need to make it more simple. So it was a constant Give and take. It was a, it was a, I'd say overall a very positive process. But there were moments that were kind of agonizing. I have to say.
3: Hello. Um, do you find? Do you think that um, this kind of content uh, will sort of
2: dictate? I guess the way uh, maybe other uh, content creators will um, shift towards towards, you know, educational type of work, or do you think that this is how audiences are now consuming content, like very short form, entertaining, and um, at the same time educational? I
4: mean, I think people are consuming content in so many different ways. That's what makes it exciting for content creators. You know, I'm incredibly platform agnostic. We make movies that are 90 minutes long. We make TV shows that are an hour long, that are a half hour long. We create digital content that's anywhere from 3 minutes to 15 minutes. I think that where we live now is an incredible time because we can create content in multiple platforms to to fit multiple audiences that give us the ability to actually have multiple business opportunities as filmmakers, and that's what we should strive for. You know, what I strive for is not to, you know, if somebody once asked me, you know, was we were having a whole argument about, you know, well, would you rather have an, an Emmy or an Oscar? And I said, well, I'd rather have a career. I mean, ultimately, I'd, I'd much rather continue to tell stories wherever I can tell stories, to reach audiences wherever they're consuming content that I can, and that's that's the exciting thing. So I think you'll still see people who go to movies that'll want to sit and have that experience. You'll see people who will want to have that experience in home with their family, where they can watch show into show into show into show, kind of Netflix style. You'll see people who, as much much as I, I still can't imagine doing it, who will watch Gladiator on their phone on a train on the way to work. But um, but that's the world we live in. And I think that uh, you, you do need to be willing and ready to adapt to that however it is. And there's great opportunities for filmmakers to suddenly make things that are educational, that can be fun,
0: um, while also making things that are incredibly artistic. And I would also say, just from my perspective as a journalist, that like NPR, it used to be, you do a story and that's it. And no one will ever hear that story again. And now that story can have a digital life forever. And, and that for me, and in my field, you see a lot more emphasis on explanatory journalism and, and journalism that is engaging and exciting um, for, for that exact same reason. So maybe we're meeting in the middle somewhere.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned that, Morgan. Um, You you certainly now at this point have a career. We've been talking about the various movies you and I have been talking or you've been on this stage multiple times now talking about various moments in that career. Um, When you look at the work that you do, do you see a connective tissue? Because I certainly do as an observer between what you do for the big screen versus television now versus we the economy, the small screen or the device. Um, But how do you view
4: it? Well, I mean, I think that uh, when we made the movie, The Greatest Movie Ever Sold, you know, we had a guy, as we were trying to chase brands, who basically broke down what my brand identity is and what what I kind of represent. And, um, and, uh, like our brand is like a, a a smart, playful brand, a mindful, playful brand is what they is the way he described it, mindful, playful, and I think the goal for all of the content we make lives and breathes within a mindful, playful world. It's stuff that should make you think, it's stuff that should make you laugh. Um, you know, we have a mantra at our company, which is if you can make someone laugh, you can make someone listen. Through humor, you can let people's walls come down, you can get them to engage in a conversation and in content in very different ways, and I think that uh, that is a real running through line. You know, we, we make pop docs. You know, I really want to make things that are that are hitting into the into the vein of popular culture, into kind of popular entertainment, um, things that don't taste like medicine and can have the ability to kind of breathe beyond kind of a typical view and audience. And I think that's that's what we still strive to do with everything we make.
0: Hi, uh, I just wanted to ask uh, what are the challenges? Not that you're creating these shorter content, uh, uh, you know, material, uh, the different challenges that you have to be able to convey the information uh what is the mentality that you have to go through because you're doing a longer uh you know one hour or an hour and a half you know uh documentary it's a different mindset so how do you, how do you go about that now that you're starting this new
3: this new venture well, yeah
4: here. i mean that's that's the real thing it's like it, it it becomes a real challenge for a filmmaker and that's when we are working with these filmmakers you know ramin barani and uh you know or or jessica Yu, who like the challenge of now making a what would normally be a 90-minute topic in three to five minutes. It's like, wow, how do I tell this story in three to five minutes? So you have to be incredibly surgical in your approach, the surgical in the choices you make. And, and you know, luckily, you know, Meow and I were able to work with you know, fantastic advisors who kind of helped to shepherd us through that process. But uh, it's those conversations, I think, with the advisors that helped, helped me really hone in on what was important.
2: Yeah, no. Um, the speaking with advisors definitely like got me down to the topic of you know Chinese manufacturing and and the foreign direct investment because when I got the topic, it was like how does Chinese economy impact the U.S. economy? That's like a humongous topic that could go on for like hours, you know. And there's so many t- so many different elements, and um, so that was for sure the biggest challenge. And then yeah, speaking with the advisors kind of. Picking, you sort of have to pick something to go with, and then, um, and for me, it was like finding the really great human stories, and there was really human elements that kind of can tell the big story, and then you have little others, you know, side stories that come out of it. But yeah, it's it you really do have to pick something, and hopefully that will tell a greater story through that small one.
1: Well, as we wrap up, um, last question uh, for each of you. What's something you're working on now that you can share with us or tell us about? Start with Adam.
0: Um, I just finished, I had the cover story in the New York Times Magazine this past weekend, which covers a lot of the stuff I talked about, and I'm writing a book on, on those themes.
1: The, what's, the, what's the book exploring, maybe more in depth?
0: Sort of how the economy has changed, how, how to succeed in this new and challenging economy
1: i imagine you're still writing it, it be out next year or when are you
0: yeah god knows yeah yeah it's uh, i mean i have a contract it, it's if it's if been people, sold but yeah it's, if people uh, want to do yeah. you have a
1: website or twitter how can people stay in touch with sort of what you're doing or Sure. new
0: york times magazine i'm gonna have a column there that's a good place yeah or at adam davidson okay very good
2: yeah yeah, I, I read his article in the New York Times <laughs> magazine, it was really great. <laughs> um, I've been working on a feature doc for a couple years, that's why it's also so great to do a short. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sometimes it's so nice to do the different uh, length projects and my feature doc has uh, been following a couple of teenagers that come from China and looking at education and um, how they adapt here once they arrive here. Yeah.
4: Yeah, we just, um, we just announced a, uh, a new film that, uh, that we're going to be doing. And, uh, and we have a digital channel that we're launching in a partnership with Maker that will come out in January. And the, the new channel is called Smartish, which is what I am. Um, I'm Smartish. And, uh, and what we're doing is uh, a lot of original digital content for that. We'll be launching about five shows every quarter starting in January. Uh, some are short form. Some are like half hour longs. But uh, they'll be available everywhere, and they'll kind of bridge the gap between you know TED Talks and reality TV that, uh, that smartish world. yeah
1: well, in the meantime, uh, invite everybody if you haven't already to download the We the Economy app. Uh, you can get more information on We the Economy on the website wetheeconomy.com oh. and hashtag we the Economy you can get a lot more information on various social media platforms, including Twitter. So uh, thank you very much to Adam, Meow, and Morgan for being here tonight. Thank you for their time.
4: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for coming.